Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. In a strange twist, the leader of the Wagner Group reportedly wanted to kidnap two top Russian generals. I think that that's probably likely that he would have, or perhaps something even worse. Republicans and Democrats team up to create transparency around China buying U.S. farmland. It is a bad, bad idea to let the CCP or CCP-affiliated entities buy land near military bases. Joe Biden travels to Chicago touting Bidenomics, but only 34% of Americans approve of his handling of the economy. is not going to lead to better, optimal economic outcomes. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast, your first look at today's top stories for Thursday, June 29th. I'm Mike Scott. According to new reports on these strange events that unfolded in Russia over the weekend, the Wagner Group's leader, Yevgeny Prigozhin, planned to capture Russia's top military officials during his mutiny. We're learning more about this weekend's short-lived and ultimately failed rebellion inside Russia, citing Western intelligence officials. The Wall Street Journal reports the now-exiled leader of the Wagner Group wanted to kidnap two of Russia's top military leaders. According to the paper, he accelerated his march toward Moscow after the Kremlin learned of the plot to target Russia's defense minister and the army's highest ranking general. The reporting from the Wall Street Journal goes on to suggest that Prigozhin's plan to kidnap Russian defense minister Sergei Shoigu and chief of the general staff, Valery Gerasimov, was discovered. And if the plan wasn't leaked, it may very well have been successful. Found out by Russian authorities, Prigozhin moved to his backup plan of the mutinous march, sending a few thousand Wagner fighters toward Moscow, but stopping them about 120 miles south of the capital. Retired Lieutenant Colonel Daniel Davis is a military analyst saying the story is a strange one, but not completely unbelievable. It's a little odd of a story, I got to say, and who knows how much it's true or not. There's so many things that are floating around. But we know that on Saturday, uh, Prigozhin himself on his Telegram channel had claimed that Shoigu uh, had been in Rostov, which is where the command center is for the the, uh, the Ukraine operations, uh, and he fled. So it's uh, we, it doesn't explain how if Shoigu was in Rostov, you would have been turned on going to Moscow if your intention was to capture because that's not where he was. So it's uncertain how all of these things fit together. But it is entirely plausible that that was uh, uh, Prigozhin's intent because he had been you know obviously so vitriolically against those two from the beginning. So I think that that's probably likely that he would have or perhaps something even worse. But uh, it's it's no doubt that 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 was a uh, part of his plan. Davis believes that regardless of the validity of the story, the mutiny reflects poorly on Vladimir Putin. 
as far as how this result or results in anything, uh, Prigozhin completely failed in his objective. He lost control of his uh, Wagner group, or at least nominal control of it. And now he's in uh, Minsk uh, doing who knows what. Uh, and and the, the, the issue has been uh, diminished. Putin at the same time has also been diminished. So this is just a big negative, negative for Russia any way you want to look at. It. The retired lieutenant colonel weighs in on Prigozhin's chances of staying alive. Putin has a long history of uh, making people disappear after they leave Russia. So I don't think there's anywhere on the planet that Prigozhin can go and feel safe about sleeping. But he'll stay alive as long as he is of utility to Russia. And uh, at least what he's claiming right now, what Lukashenko, the president of Belarus, is claiming is that uh, Prigozhin is there now to train the, the Belarusian army with a lot of their experience that they've gained during this war to perhaps expand their capacity over there. As long as Prigozhin is useful, I think that he can still stay alive. But if he goes on the wrong side of Putin, uh, I doubt that he stays alive too much longer, just based on history. According to reporting from Europe, the mutiny has some in Russia second-guessing Putin, and Davis explains why. Putin, on the other hand, he's already coming under a lot of heat because uh, he didn't take care of this when it was festering. And it started blowing up really in February of this year, had a major blow up in June and May, and he did nothing about either one of them. He didn't do anything to his uh, defense minister and commander in, uh, of the army. He didn't change, make any changes, and he did nothing to Prigozhin, and so the thing festered. Now that it was only solved because Lukashenko got involved without major bloodshed on Russian on Russian soil, uh, and a lot of people in Russia that are otherwise supportive of the Russian state are questioning his leadership. And it remains to be seen how serious this is. And it's too early to tell. It could be very bad or depending on what happens uh, in the war coming up soon, it could be forgotten. Davis says that another mutiny is not in the cards as Putin is already purging his inner circle. There's already reports that there's been a lot of purges going on within the Ministry of Defense and several other places. Uh, anybody who had any intent of uh, going on that uh, uh, the coup has been eliminated and removed. It's unclear whether Prigozhin is commanding what remains of the Wagner Group from Belarus, but the Pentagon believes some Wagner mercenaries are still in Ukraine. The haze resulting from the wildfires in Canada remained hovering over large swaths of the Midwest, causing unhealthy air conditions and delays in air travel. National Weather Service meteorologist Todd Kluber in Chicago explains why the drifting smoke from the wildfires in Canada has now settled over the Great Lakes. Kind of a stagnant low-pressure system over the Great Lakes that's drawn that smoke around uh, the western part of the lakes and into uh, portions of uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, Illinois. And so we're seeing the effects of that right now coming through the Chicago area. Ann Kluber says the smoke from the Canadian wildfires is causing some issues at area airports. The major airports, uh, Chicago O'Hare and Midway uh, airports, uh, seen visibility under two miles, which is uh, fairly low for for this time of uh, to see this type of uh, visibility for any smoke. Um, let alone, we normally don't see that type of visibility most of the time, even when it's uh, when we have a lot of uh, like fogger or in this area. The Environmental Protection Agency's airnow.gov site shows parts of Illinois, lower Michigan, and southern Wisconsin with the worst air quality in the United States. The Coast Guard has announced 
that while bringing up wreckage of the Titan submersible that imploded last week, it contained presumed human remains. Presumed human remains, they say, were found among some of the wreckage of the Titan submersible. We had seen pictures of the submersible wreckage today in Canada, offloaded onto shore in Newfoundland, Canada. And now we know, according to the Coast Guard, that human remains were among some of that wreckage. I want to put up the statement, uh, the relevant portion of the statement from the Coast Guard. It says, in part, quote, United States medical professionals will conduct a formal analysis of presumed human remains that have been carefully recovered within the wreckage at the site of the incident. But we now know that the remains, along with the evidence, will be transported on a U.S. Coast Guard cutter from Canada to the U.S. to be part of this investigation. It's also likely uh, that officials will try to identify the remains. No information about to whom those remains belong, uh, but obviously uh, families uh, likely were waiting for some amount of information regarding their loved ones and any remains that could be recovered. Five people lost their lives on board the craft, which set out to explore the wreckage of the Titanic a week ago Sunday. In a rare show of bipartisanship from Congress, Democrats and Republicans are joining together to put forward a bill that would not only give U.S. citizens more transparency in what foreign countries are buying up U.S. farmland, but also limit the ability of the Chinese Communist Party-backed companies to buy new land. Moreover, the bill would also force the government to consider stripping some foreign landowners of their real estate. We've noticed something alarming going on. There are Chinese-backed and affiliated companies and factories moving into some of these small towns. Many times it goes unnoticed, but other times it's the Americans who live here who are rising up and trying to stop what they are calling an invasion. Democrat Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer recently praised a deal with a Chinese-backed company that would build a plant in her state. I was proud to announce a $2.36 billion investment from Goshen to manufacture uh, electric vehicles. And I got to be honest, I am proud that we are beating other states to locate those investments here in Michigan. However, Michigan citizen Katie Fleming doesn't want the Communist Party-owned company in Michigan. I didn't want to do this. I didn't know this was going to be my something on my radar. I'd much rather be in my lily garden right now <laughs> than fighting a... Chinese-backed Whitmer, Michigan dollars. This is taxpayer dollars. I mean, we have a say. That's our money. Other citizens in Michigan lashed out at a local town hall meeting. They were frustrated at local government for selling farmland to a CCP-aligned company. China's our number one enemy. Number one, Chapman. You don't care, do you? You make me sick. You should get a communist flag up there and salute that. According to the Agriculture Department, foreign ownership of U.S. land has nearly doubled in the past decade to over 40 million acres. The problem many lawmakers, both Republican and Democrat, see with such foreign nations like China buying up American farmland is that they believe it is a threat to national security as the purchases may threaten U.S. food security. Plus, 
Many lawmakers point to the fact that much of the land purchased by the CCP is close to U.S. military bases or other sensitive sites. When it comes to national security threats, former CIA agent Tracy Walter points to the CCP-backed company Goshen, which has pledged allegiance to the Chinese Communist Party in their company charter as extremely problematic. But if you're pledging allegiance to the Communist Party, um, then you are beholden to them um, and you are at whatever their whims may be. And that could be in terms of intelligence collection. Walter believes that this is just the latest in a series of escalations from China. I see it as almost an escalation um, of their their behavior, really where they started in terms of this economic espionage or espionage in general was really sending agents of China to the United States to steal things and bring them back. Now what we're seeing is them planting roots here, almost in the United States, and cultivating those roots and building sort of domestic networks. Republican Congressman Mike Gallagher of Wisconsin joins the Salem Radio Network and weighs in on the CCP buying American farmland. Ask yourself the question, can Americans buy land in China? Of course, the answer is no. So it's a matter of reciprocity. You're on high ground. We are investigating this issue. We're working on a bill, a bipartisan bill that I would lead with a Democratic colleague of mine to fix this issue. Uh, what we need to do is update the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, CFIUS, to ensure that it has jurisdiction over all land purchases and to ensure that it has the ability to consider U.S. food security as a factor in assessing the potential risk of a transaction like this. Gallagher explains what the new bill will do. So for foreign adversaries purchasing land near a sensitive site, like a military base, you could also set the bar higher at something called a presumption of unresolvability, which would put a thumb on the scale since these transactions come with a good deal of risk. Incidentally, when we fixed CFIUS uh, about four years ago, or thought we fixed CFIUS, we gave them the authority to tackle land purchases or deny purchases like this. They then put forward a series of implementing regulations that were very vague and raised the question as to whether they had the authority. The Wisconsin Republican explains why it's so important to clarify rules through the Committee on Foreign Investment. So now we're going to we're having to and fix something we thought we'd already fixed, clarify congressional intent in order to stop this from happening, because it is happening near sensitive military facilities. And it is a bad, bad idea to let the CCP or CCP affiliated entities buy land near military bases in the United States. Gallagher goes on to explain just what the Committee on Foreign Investment is and who is a part of it. The Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States. It's an interagency committee. So think DOD has a seat. DOJ, Department of Defense has a seat. Department of Justice has a seat. They meet to consider whether purchases like this can go forward, as well as other, uh, you know, foreign investment in the United States. Uh, something like TikTok right now is 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 um, mired in a, a committee on foreign investment in the United States review process, and because it's a consensus driven organization, oftentimes it fails to resolve these issues, or it comes up with a mitigation plan where that is really weak and unenforceable, which is what they were contemplating doing with TikTok. Looking forward, Gallagher says that there are more things that he and other lawmakers are working on to curb foreign purchases of American farmland. In order to effectively wage ideological warfare, 
we need to better guard ourselves from the CCP's attempts to corrupt Americans and weaponize the D.C. swamp against us. And they use the opacity in FARA as well as all the loopholes in the lobbying disclosure arrangements uh, in order to buy off elites in America, including former members of Congress. So one thing we're also working on is legislation that would fix the FARA process. My simple view is that former members of Congress and high-level executive branch officials shouldn't be allowed to lobby on behalf of foreign entities in general and China in particular. I think it's a violation of the trust people place in them. And that's what we've seen time and again with CCP-dominated companies, whether it's Huawei, ZTE, or TikTok. Every time we try to defend our sovereignty, they hire an army of, of lobbyists in order to weaponize the swamp against us. So fixing FARA is in you know my top five things that we could do this Congress in order to guard ourselves from the corruption that the CCP does through something they call united front work. Republican Senator Joni Ernst of Iowa released a statement saying in part, quote, food security is national security. China, our nation's number one pacing threat, is buying the farm and encroaching on land surrounding military bases. America needs to know how our foreign adversary has been allowed to use loopholes to attempt to exploit any potential vulnerability and assert control over parts of the agriculture industry, end quote. Former Marine Daniel Penny pleads not guilty in the New York City subway chokehold death of Jordan Neely and remains free on bond. Daybreak insider Julie Walker has the very latest from the Big Apple. Daniel Penny only uttered the words not guilty. His lawyer, Thomas Kenneth, says the 24-year-old who is charged with second-degree manslaughter and now criminally negligent homicide was protecting himself. Our client acted reasonably under the circumstances and that he was justified in the actions he took. However unfortunate the consequences. Penny put Jordan Neely, who was allegedly yelling, I'm going to kill you, in a chokehold. The Neely family says he struggled with mental illness. Their attorney, Dante Mills, criticized Penny's online legal fund. For everyone who thought donating $3 million would somehow make this go away or buy his pass, it's not going to happen. Julie Walker, New York. On Wednesday, President Biden landed in Chicago, touting what he feels are his economic accomplishments under the banner of Bidenomics. Samuel Gress is a senior research faculty member of the American Institute for Economics, and he joined the Salem Radio Network discussing Bidenomics. Bidenomics is the conviction which I think uh, has been something that Joe Biden, President Biden, has believed in in all his life, which is that the government must play a considerably big role in the economy. And that's cashed out in in several ways. One is what we call industrial policy. He wants to use the government to try and deliver better outcomes or what he thinks are better outcomes in particular segments of the economy than would otherwise be delivered by markets. So that's the big one. The second thing is that he's absolutely convinced that the American economy is full of what's called market failures. And he believes that the government must act to address what he regards as market failures. Greg believes that Bidenomics simply runs contrary to the reality of economics. 
He wants to basically shift the focus of the economy away from meeting consumer demands and wants and much more upon meeting the demands of those who produce the wealth, particularly in areas like manufacturing. Now, of course, anyone who knows anything about economics knows that this is pretty much contrary to the basic insights that market economics brings to this discussion as well as the way that markets work. It puts an enormous degree of faith in the capacity of government, legislators, officials, civil servants, technocrats, to basically know better than the market, which of course is made up of 300 million American consumers, what the market can actually deliver. The American Institute fellow goes on to explain what the main driver of Bidenomics really is. The Biden administration has made it very clear that it is prioritizing things like DEI, ESG, which in many many respects reflects what we call woke capitalism. They have made it very clear that when it comes to government contracts, when it comes to the design of industrial policy, that things like ESG, DEI, which I think is very clearly influenced by, let's call it woke ideology, are going to take priority when it comes to making decisions about who gets government contracts and who doesn't. They're not hiding this. This is the extraordinary thing about it. They're not hiding this. In this new Bidenomics framework, the emphasis is upon the types of social causes that you're identifying. And that's a serious problem because guess what? Social causes, promoting particular social causes, is not going to lead to better optimal economic outcomes. This comes as a new poll shows that only 34% of Americans approve of Joe Biden's handling of the economy, which is lower than his approval rating of only 41%. Threatened by possible shortages of lithium for electric car batteries, automakers are racing to lock in supplies of the once-obscure white gold. Daybreak Insider's Jeremy House has more on this story. The race is occurring in a politically and environmentally fraught competition from China to Nevada to Chile. General Motors and the parent company of China's BYD Auto Limited are going straight to the source and buying stakes in lithium miners. It's a rare step in an industry that relies on outside vendors for copper and other raw materials. An Olympic gold medalist is making a comeback. Daybreak Insider sports correspondent Gethin Coolbaugh has more on the return of Simone Biles. Gymnastic superstar Simone Biles plans to return to competition in early August, her first event since the pandemic-delayed 2020 Tokyo Olympics. Once I came out here, I was like, no, mental is not there, so I just need to let the girls do it and focus on myself. The 26-year-old Biles has taken most of the last two years off following her eventful stay in Japan in the summer of 2021. We're just a little bit too stressed out. Um... But we should be out here having fun, and sometimes that's not the case. USA Gymnastics announced Wednesday that Biles, a seven-time Olympic medalist and the 2016 Olympic champion, is part of the women's field at the U.S. Classic outside Chicago on August 5th. I'm Gethin Coolbaugh. And finally... Madonna, who is often referred to as the Queen of Pop, was hospitalized due to a serious battle with a severe 
bacterial infection. Madonna's manager announced the news on Instagram late this afternoon. He said the 64-year-old singer spent several days in the ICU after becoming ill on Saturday. Manager Guy Osiri calls it a serious bacterial infection. He wrote, quote, her health is improving. However, she is still under medical care. A full recovery is expected. More details on her infection or how long her recovery will be were not provided. Osiri said the Grammy Award-winning singer will now have to postpone her upcoming celebration tour, which was set to kick off in Vancouver on July 15th. Madonna announced the 35-city tour earlier this year, which is a celebration, she says, of her four-decade career, which includes 38 songs in the Billboard Hot 100. Madonna's Celebration World Tour has now been postponed, but the singer's management says that tour dates will be rescheduled and they are currently ironing out any details. We here at the Daybreak Insider Podcast are hoping for a full recovery for the material girl. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott.